0: You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. We are now at the tail end of september and wrapping around the corner into october i'm so excited about an event coming up it's called the bride tribe advance not sure if you heard about it um but if you have and just signed up i'm really excited i'm going to have the opportunity to meet you and introduce you to someone else that i'm really excited to meet now um We have sold out of this conference like four times. I mean, it's like, well, is it three? Yeah, I think it's three. But we're moving towards four because what happened was we sold out and then we got some more rooms and we sold out again. And then we upgraded the room and, you know, they gave us some more things and we sold out. But now we have a couple more seats. (laughs) End of the day, like two, literally. And so if you have been like pleading, God, let me find a way to get to this Bright Tribe Advance There are a couple of seats that are sitting on the website as I am recording this. Now, they'll be gone soon. So, you know, if you really want to go October 24th through the 27th and you get it in time, um, you can still do that. And, you know, if that is you, I can't wait to meet you. Uh, To find the place where you can sign up for the Bride Tribe Advance with the couple seats we have uh, still available. You go to our website, abridemovement.com, go to the church page, and on the church, there's a drop-down menu, and it says events, and if you go to events on the church tab, you will find where you can sign up. Now, I have another piece of news. We are looking forward to this book, Advanced Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth. I can't wait to put it in your hands for all of you that have pre-ordered it. Praise God for you. Well, it isn't in my hands yet, and I am really, you know, I was thinking maybe I'll have them by next week. That's looking less and less likely, and so maybe the week after, I will keep you updated. I promise I will be shipping them out as soon as I get my hands on them. Some things are in my control, some things aren't quite in my control, and so bear with us, but uh, those books are coming soon, and please remember, we have these pre-sales going on, take advantage of that reduced price and the bundle deal that we have available on our website, BrideMovement.com. I want to also say, you know, at Bride Ministries, we continue to do a lot of things. We run this podcast. We run the Bride Ministries Church, which meets every week on Sunday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, right from our website. You can join from anywhere in the world. Uh, We Run the Bride Tribe Advance, which meets. Well, we've been doing semi annual meetings at, at, since last year. Uh, we make survivor support groups available. Those are closed and private groups, but for those that are within our community, um, we are making that happen as well. We offer coaching and strategic support to survivors of satanic ritual abuse uh, through the coaches that we network with, as well as we. Offer scholarships for those that can't afford it. In other words, you can apply at our website and we will fund your coaching for a scholarship of 16 hours because we care and we are empowered to do all of these things because you guys, you support us financially. And I want to say thank you and I want to say, you know, for those of you that are following, connecting with this podcast, this adventure that we are taking into the unknown, you um, You are really pushing so many things forward when you sow into us. As a matter of fact, this ministry has become a reservoir for world-class prayer resources that people are leaning on from around the world. You guys have no idea. If our prayer page goes down for even 24 hours, we get lots of letters in the mail. Oh my gosh, what's going on? I need your prayers. mean, there are so many people that I know are... receiving from what God has blessed us to make available uh, for free. And so, I want to thank you for those of you that continue to support us, and for those of you that have connected with us very heartily, and you have not considered supporting us yet, just know uh, you can visit us at bridemovement.com. We have a donate button. and We take um, all kinds of donations. Uh, you can mail us a check. We have a P.O. box on our website. Of course, we have the paypal and credit card and and we even receive cryptocurrency donations and so take advantage of that you are sowing into a christian faith-based ministry intent on demonstrating the kingdom of god to the world all right with that said i think i'm all out of uh, uh, uh out of commentary i i have a lot more commentary coming up Don't go anywhere. You are about to experience. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to Discovering Truth with Dan DeVall. Hey everyone, so before diving into what we're going to be talking about this week, I want to give you a little bit of context for what's happening here. At the Bride Ministries Church, we have been in a long series on the subject of exposing Kabbalah, or Kabbalah, and this series picks up in the midst of that discussion because As we understand this system of mysticism, which comes out of Jewish mysticism, uh, there comes a question, which is, what does it mean to be Jewish? Now, this is taken from a long journey that we have been taking. As a matter of fact, what you're going to hear this week is actually part six of our ongoing exposing Kabbalah series that has been taking place at the Bride Ministries Church. And so if you want to get the rest of the content that leads up to where we're going to just be springboarding into in this week's podcast and YouTube, for those of you that are watching it there, uh, just go to our website at bridemovement.com, go to our church page, go to our uh, shop page. At the shop page, you can go and get all of the messages that led up to this one And um, you can also continue with us every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time as we continue (laughs) taking this journey. Now, just realize that in this particular uh, lesson, some of us are really gonna get our feelings hurt because we have been taught so wrongly. um, And there has been such an agenda behind what we have been taught on certain subjects, especially what the word Jew and Jewish means. And there's been so much intentional confusion around this uh, that. Uh, learning the whole story is is really a bit difficult but with that said we're going to dive in now you know where this is coming from enjoy Father God, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for this day. It's the day that you have made. We're going to rejoice. We're going to be glad in it. We're going to enter your gates of thanksgiving. We're going to enter your courts of praise. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your splendor. We thank you, Lord God, that in you there is no variation, no shadow of turning. We thank you that you are a, a God of justice, Lord God. We thank you that. We can put our hope in you. We thank you, Lord God, that all ungodly and unauthorized astral traffic and trade is absolutely being policed by your heavenly hosts. We do not tolerate it. Lord God, we thank you that we have eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit is saying, hearts to understand. We cover the environment of this meeting with the blood of Jesus and establish, Lord God, a matrix of heavenly gold around all technology involved in the execution of this meeting. Um shutting down all wave-based and frequency-based attacks in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, that your kingdom come and your will is done on earth and in our lives as it is in heaven in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So um, we are on a journey into exposing Kabbalah, or Kabbalah, however you want to say it. And as I have done every week so far, I am going to take some time for all of you that are here because someone else said, "Hey, man, look, this crazy series on Kabbalah is like going on. You need to, you know, get in and 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 you've missed everything I've set up to now." And 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 here's the problem with a slow build: I can't go back to the beginning because I've said so much. But what I can do is I can give a brief overview for those of you that are just putting your toe in the pool, and um, then you're going to be uh, on the roller coaster with the rest of us. So how many people are really excited to learn about the Tetragrammaton tonight? Let me, let me see a show of hands in the Zoom meeting chat. How many people are really excited about Tetragrammaton? Like, What does that mean? You're going to define it for me. I'm going to learn something tonight. All right, all of you, um, you've been schnookered. That's right. I completely took a sharp left uh, as I was making my notes. You're not going to learn about that tonight. So, um, but you're here, right? (laughs) So (laughs) sorry, uh, we're going a sharp left and I'm going to be talking to you about Jewishness. But if I had told you this last week, you may have like said, I'll skip that one. (laughs) Now you're here. And so uh, you're going to get it. Well, we're going to come back to the Tetragrammaton next week, but This week, we we have to talk about something that is, is extraordinarily important to this whole conversation, because many of you, as I have been going after this Kabbalah, have been really struggling in your head to conceptualize where does Kabbalah, Old Testament prophecy, political Zionism, current events, books, prophetic conferences, and... Uh, 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 our need to pray for Israel all ground out because there's so much confusion right Um, what does it even mean to be a Jew how do we define the Jews properly and how do we do that in the context of resolving the differences between Kabbalistic eschatology and the Bible's eschatology especially because no one in the Christian sphere can agree upon Christian eschatology anyway so There's a lot of confusion. And, and, you know, how many people here know that the moment that someone begins to say, well, hey, you know, I think there might be something a little fishy about this political Zionist movement. They immediately get branded an anti-Semitic, anti-Semitism. You are against Jews, even though you are against political Zionism, as if it's the same thing. But is it? Is it? How, how do we define Jews? Do we define Jews according to the Bible? Do we define Jews according to the Orthodox Judaism? Do we define Jews according to the Ashkenazi Jews and their political Zionist movement? Do we define Jews according to bloodlines and genetic lineages? There are actually, and we're going to learn this tonight, a lot of different definitions for the word Jew. A lot. And so when you begin to try to talk about stuff, everyone's confused Because we're all using the same word, yet everyone has a different definition for it. It's kind of like if I showed you a series of colors, red, yellow, orange, and green. And I had all of these colors in front of you. I said, well, here's red, yellow, orange, and green. And then I wrote the word red on top of all of those boxes. So I said, red, 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 even though it's red, yellow, orange, and green, right? And so you're like, And I said, let's talk about the color red. And you don't know what I'm talking about because I have just applied the same definition, like the same word to four different definitions. That's what's happened around Jewishness. And we're going to talk about it tonight because there is so much confusion in the body of Christ and outside of the body of Christ that no one can have a conversation about it because no one knows what anyone's talking about. Aren't you glad you came? So um, we have been on a journey into exposing Kabbalah for the past five weeks. This is week number six. So uh, we have a little bit of review to do. I'm going to try to squeeze it in real fast. First off, what is Kabbalah? Answer. Uh, Kabbalah is the ancient Jewish tradition of mystical interpretation of the Bible, first transmitted orally and using esoteric methods, uh, specifically the Old Testament. Uh, Kabbalah is an esoteric method, discipline, and school of thought that originated with Judaism. Okay. Uh, what is the actual connection of Kabbalah to Judaism? Answer, uh, it is not possible to discuss Kabbalah apart from a conversation on what is called Judaism or simply Jewish doctrine. Uh, Some Christians think that Judaism is simply a study of the Old Testament that is called ignorance, which is why many believers are confused as to why followers of Judaism can so firmly deny Yeshua as their Messiah. Jewish doctrine regarding the Old Testament comes primarily from two sources. One is the Babylonian Talmud, which is a commentary on the Mishnah. The Mishnah is the first major written collection of Jewish oral traditions known as Oral Torah. Right, and 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 so for a thousand years plus, th- these uh, rabbis were passing down the oral tradition, from one generation to the next. And around 200 AD, after you know everyone was dispersed, you know the Roman tyranny against Jews and all this stuff, they decided to write it all down. And uh, that oral Torah became the Mishnah, and then the Babylonian Talmud is the commentary, where they're explaining all of their oral traditions. So. This is the first major work of rabbinic literature when it comes to Jewish doctrine, this oral Torah is considered by Orthodox Jews to be as divinely inspired as the Old Testament itself. As a matter of fact, some of them say the oral Torah, which is, you know, the Mishnah, comes from a revelation that God gave to the seventy. uh elders that did not go up mount sinai with moses and they say that god gave the 70 a superior revelation to moses I, I mean so it's really interesting where they kind of rank some of this stuff so the babylonian talmud is known as the sea of talmud they get a lot of their doctrine from this guy right and this is the same thing that oral torah is what jesus was rebuking the pharisees for so they put on the level of scripture what we know is a rebuke by jesus that's part of their doctrine it's called the Leaven of the Pharisees, and then they add to that Kabbalah, which in itself means to receive. It is a collection of the Jewish esoteric books. Even the most conservative Jewish rabbis today acknowledge that Orthodox Jews give credence to the Kabbalistic works whose primary texts include the Zohar, also known as the Book of Splendor, Sefer Yetzirah, the Book of Mysteries, the Gate of Reincarnations. Yes, uh, Kabbalists believe in reincarnation. Uh, three Enoch, which is not to be confused with one Enoch, and we talked about this last week somewhat as we were exploring Metatron, and Three Enoch is all about a rabbi who lived after the death of Jesus, who ascends into the spirit world and has this encounter with an angel that's called Metatron, who turns out to be Enoch, and so this book becomes Three Enoch, and we learn all about Metatron. So uh, we, we talked about all of that last week. Why are we talking about Kabbalah? Answer: We're investigating it because Kabbalah is not of God. Okay, um, using Kabbalah to better understand the Old Testament is like using the Book of Mormon to better understand the New Testament. What begins as an investigation to extra biblical text lands you in a different religion. Kabbalah is not Christianity. Kabbalah is not going to get you closer to Jesus. I don't care who's teaching that Kabbalah is—you know—some kind of Hebrew or Jewish. What it—it's—it it, is. A revelation of the government of Lucifer is what it is. Um, it has influenced major areas of Christendom. And since many believers do not know what Kabbalah is, they neither know what its beliefs are, nor how to identify where its influence has poisoned the waters in the body of Christ. Kabbalah teaches an esoteric template for man and the creation known as the Kabbalah tree. It is a source of revelation for students of the deep occult and... It is also a programming template for survivors of satanic ritual abuse. And um, major famous students of Kabbalah include people like Eliphas Levi, who led the occult revival of the 1800s, McGregor Mathers, one of three founders of the Order of the Golden Dawn. He was also someone who translated a number of the books of Zohar, (laughs) right? So these Jewish rabbis are reading books translated into English by McGregor Mathers, one of the three founders of the Order of the Golden Dawn. So you can see how some of these uh, tangled webs weave, right? He also translated a book called The uh, Key of Solomon, which we'll get to next week when we start talking about Tetragrammaton. This guy mentored Alistair Crowley, H.P. Blavatsky. Uh, She... Uh, was uh, one of the um, founders of the Theosophical Society. Um, She believed the Jews through books like the Kabbalah had stolen books of black magic that previously came from the Chaldeans. She she actually thought the Jews were squatters on occult knowledge that belonged to other groups. And that's how she viewed just how powerful their stuff is. (laughs) Right? Um, the Theosophical Society is the same group that Alice Bailey, which some of you may recognize um, associated with. She is the first person that t- deployed the term New Age. Um, she talked about the coming age of Aquarius. She established Lucifer trust. She is associated with Kabbalistic ideologies, AE. Wait, He is uh, author of several significant texts on subjects of Rosicrucianism, Freemasonry, Ceremonial Magic, and of course, Kabbalism, Manly P. Hall, uh, famous Freemason, author of Secret Magic of Kabbalah, Albert Pike, and we're actually going to get into Albert Pike a little bit today, another famous high-ranking Freemason from the 1800s, author of Morals and Dogma. This is um, a real, real uh, raunchy group of people. And, you know, if you want to know the root, look at the fruit, right? So why do we need to avoid Kabbalah? Titus 1, 10 through 14 says, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and the commandments of men who turn from the truth. Jewish fables would include oral Torah, Mishnah, Babylonian Talmud, and, of course, Kabbalah, which, as we have been talking about all this time, uh, literally has a cosmology designed to write Jesus out of the entire equation. Um The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 4, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel which you have not accepted you may put up with it in other words if I come to you and say hey why don't we ascend into Metatron's cube you might say yes if I say hey why don't we look at this Metatron guy because he's actually a reveal of Yeshua you might say yeah even though that's pure Kabbalah and Metatron is the equivalent of our biblical man of sin and son of perdition as we looked at last week so You know, uh, people get deceived all the time. I'm not trying to put shame on those of you that have been deceived by this nonsense, but uh, we're trying to straighten the whole thing out. You know, Paul was concerned. There's some really bad teaching going around. and I I am concerned as well, which is one of the reasons why we're doing this whole series because I'm realizing like our platform was getting associated with Kabbalah being taught as an addendum to Christianity by certain individuals. And I'm like, no, not associated with that. I'm getting people out of the tree. And some people are in groups that are putting them in the tree. (laughs) So, 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 so we're drawing a line and I'm explaining why the line has to be drawn. Now, why, what have we learned about Kabbalah? What have we learned about Kabbalah? So the Zohar goes into great detail on the 10 Sephirot. (sighs) And uh, we're going to go to our handy dandy slides, right? The, the the Kabbalah goes into great detail on the ten Sefiroth and the creation story they reveal. Okay, so we've talked about this several times. Um, you have up here Ein Sof, and uh, I can just pull us into this picture back here where you can actually see it. Um, You have Ein Ein Sof, Ein Sofir. This is their like God, uh, the limitless light from nothing, who forms uh, a void within himself in the creation in order to establish the creation, and then sends this light in, and it goes into these different um, containers or vessels. Keter, Chokmah, Bina, Chesed, Gevorah, Tefret, Netzach, Had, Yesed, and then finally down to Malkut. You have this lightning bolt of light that this Ein Sof uses in order to establish the creation. Everything above here is in the spirit. Down here, this is physical. This is all review. You can go back to some of our former lessons in order to get this broken down. Um, the Kabbalah tree is referred to as a tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil interchangeably. It functions as a creative myth, a counterfeit creative template, does that explain the, the nature of creation and a template for the design of man? Last, um, in, a, in a former session, we also learned that uh, this Jewish myth begins by replacing the revelation that Elohim is the creator. In other words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth with the Kabbalah version of that, which says, Um, In the beginning, in unmentioned Ein Sof works with Keter and Chokmah to create God or Elohim. In other words, that Keter and Chokmah work with Ein Sof to create Elohim. And so by doing this, you actually take Jesus out of the entire creation. Because in John 1.1, we don't learn that Ein Sof worked with Keter and Chokmah to create Elohim, and then the rest of the creation, we learned that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, they write Jesus out of the narrative. So we talked at length about that and we established on this point alone that Kabbalah narrative is irreconcilable with Christianity to the core. With this foundation, we taught through the rest of the tree how you know these 10 sephiroth tell a story of light traveling downward through the creation to Malkut, which becomes the kingdom or the physical world. The kingdom is also known as Shekinah, which in their cosmology is the female counterpart of Ein Sof, and also the gateway to man's ascension to knowledge, the bride of Tiferet, and the mother who is one with the children of Israel. So they have a different definition of uh, Shekinah. When you hear a Jew or or someone that follows Jewish mysticism use that language, it doesn't mean just like, simple glory it it has very very specific meaning um and the whole idea is that the vessels have been shattered and so one can work their way up the tree into greater and greater illumination and ultimately uh we talked about how there's this agenda to establish to khan which is a repair of the worlds okay um a lot of concepts If you didn't hear me teach it in the former weeks, you're going to have to go back because I can't go back. Um, Last week, we learned about Messiah Ben-Joseph and that he is also called Metatron, the angel of the presence. Now, uh, here again, we find another usurpation of Jesus who was Messiah and whose earthly father figure was named Joseph literally. (laughs) Actually, people knew him as Jesus, son of Joseph, but they say, no, 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 no. Our Messiah ben Joseph has not come yet, and he is of the same soul as Joseph, the son of Jacob. And he is Metatron, who is Enoch, and he's coming to establish the third temple and sit there and reinstate the sacrifice, right? So their Messiah ben Joseph, uh, becomes the same character as our man of sin and son of perdition, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Go figure, right? So again, we see this dismissal of the actual office of Jesus Christ in order to put their antichrist agenda in place. The, the entire system of Kabbalah is the system of antichrist religion that is against the revelation of Jesus Christ. This holds those that are in Judaism captive to the antichrist spirit. It's the belief system, right? So we... Again, dismiss Jesus from the creation. We find another spirit called Metatron, who gets credited with being the divine spirit in their mind, who is with Israel in the wilderness, who is the driver of political Zionism, and who is bringing about this redemption of the of uh, 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 the international influence of the uh, you know the, the glory of Israel. And um, we we learned some of that from Kol Hator, which is a book of Kabbalistic eschatology. And we talked about that last week, and that catches us up to where we are this week, (laughs) where we're going to explore Jewishness as it relates to the greater plan of political Zionism, which is absolutely tied to Kabbalah. (laughs) Okay, Now, how many people were able to follow that? (laughs) You have to go back. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, I have a lot to say today. And we're going to start with this question. What does it mean to be a Jew? What does it mean to be a Jew? So here's a brief review of history. Okay. God made a promise to Abraham. He said, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Abraham had a son named Isaac who had a son named Jacob. These are patriarchs. Then in Genesis chapter 32, verse 28, the Bible says, And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. So what do we learn there? We learn that Israel begins as a man, Jacob. Now, Jacob, as many of you know, had 12 sons, right? So I'm going to slow walk us through the history so that when I begin to make my points, it all makes sense, right? I'm not going to skip any steps and make this any more confusing than it already is. Um, So the sons of Jacob are defined in Genesis 35, uh, verses 20 through to 26. So the Bible says, now the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him Padan Aram. So we have what are known as the twelve tribes of Israel: Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Now Joseph goes on to have two sons who are Ephraim and Manasseh, and they are considered half tribes. Uh, At at his death, Israel, or Jacob, uh, prophesies over each of them, Ephraim and Manasseh, independently. So we have 12 tribes, but the tribe of Joseph is divided into two half-tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, the children of Israel were in captivity to Egypt for many years, until God raised up Moses as their deliverer. In Egypt, they multiplied and became a mighty nation, right? How, how many of you are following so far? It all makes sense. So, so right now, we don't have any Jews. There's no such thing as a Jew. What's a Jew? We have the Israelites and the children of Israel. There's no Jews. So Moses is raised up by God and leads the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness. Now, Joshua then leads them out of the wilderness and into the promised land. And after Joshua dies, the 12 tribes dwell in their respective areas of the promised land and spend hundreds of years going in and out of bondage because they're marrying the Canaanite women. They're mingling with their gods. And then God says, oh, well, According to the contract, when you do that, I'm going to turn you over to your enemies, you will be cursed and not blessed. Your stuff won't work, you'll be overtaken by your enemies. And you know, God's a man of his word. And so, because they were under that old covenant and it came with a curse, they would operate under the curse. And so they go in and out of bondage, and then when they cry out in repentance, God would raise up a judge to deliver them, hence the entire book of judges. So eventually. Israel begins to cry out for a king. They're like, all right, we don't want any judges anymore. We don't want God to be king over us. We want an earthly king like all of our pagan neighbors. So God talks to Samuel and has him appoint Saul, a Benjamite, as king. Now, Saul unites the tribes of Israel and defeats several of their enemies. However, he's not very obedient And his disobedience causes God to take his spirit from Saul. And uh, God has Samuel appoint another king, and everyone knows that's King David. So Saul eventually dies in battle, right? And, and, And this is years after David gets appointed king. And and, and and during that time, you know, first David is like Saul's number one guy. Then Saul gets jealous and he tries to kill David. And David has to flee for his life and wander around and meets his mighty men and trains them up. and All this stuff happens, okay? Now, Saul dies finally in battle. And then um, his heir, Ishbael, rules over the northern tribes while David is made king over Judah. And David later succeeds in uniting the kingdoms and then passes the kingdom to Solomon. So, so you have this division beginning at that time where Judah actually received David before the rest of the tribes of Israel did. Now, we still don't have any Jews, but we do have this idea that, okay, the, the, the kingdoms are separate. We're, we're not fully in line here. You know, the tribes aren't um, always in agreement. Now, uh, David passes the kingdom to Solomon, and that brings Israel into the golden age, right? During the kingdom of Solomon, the, the, the servants were eating on silver platters. Everyone's rich, happy, and then, you know, Solomon deteriorates, and eventually he dies. And when he dies, Israel is again divided, Okay. Now, this is what produces a northern kingdom, which becomes known as Israel, and a southern kingdom, which includes the tribe of Judah, the Levites, and a portion of the tribe of Benjamin. So you have this split, and when that southern kingdom begins to become known as Judah, we begin to refer to the people of the lower kingdom as Jews. And from that point in Israel's history, what we see is that there is actually like a faster deterioration of morality in the Northern kingdom than the Southern kingdom, although the Southern kingdom has its fair share of evil kings. So finally, things get so bad that God serves Israel a bill of divorce. And he references that in Jeremiah 3.8. Bible says, then I saw um, that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. All right, so by the year 722, Assyria succeeds in completely taking out the kingdom of Israel, right. Uh, they 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 just crush them in battle, and the the diaspora of the northern kingdom begins. Um, Babylon hasn't even arrived under Nebuchadnezzar by this point. This is the kingdom of Assyria, and so the southern kingdom continues. They actually are 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 ultimately delivered from total you know wipeout at that time, but. A large number of the tribes, they, they, they wind up in, in captivity and ultimately they go out into the nations never to be heard from again. So the Northern tribes never return to the land in any formal way and are truly dispersed among the nations. Now we see the Southern kingdom continue on for a while and, and, and uh, this is where you actually do have Jews, As a matter of fact, the word Jew is first used in the Bible in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 25. That's the first time in the whole Bible where we see the word Jew, okay? And, 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 and so the history of, of Judah uh, really takes a turn for the worse in about 600 BC when Nebuchadnezzar invades Judah, and places a tribute on those that are left there while taking a whole bunch of people into captivity, including Daniel the prophet. This begins a period in their history known as the 70-year captivity. And after 70 years, those of the southern kingdom are legally restored and permitted to rebuild the temple under King Cyrus. But what happens, unfortunately, is that there's no follow-through. So you have Daniel bringing this issue up to King Cyrus, because he knew by the books that the 70 years were up. And he writes about this in the book of Daniel. But even though the decree goes forth, it's like, all right, well, we're going to restore Israel. Nothing really happens until we hit the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, where Artaxerxes, another king reaffirms the decree of Cyrus. Okay. And so it's at that time around 445 BC or so, where we actually see, okay, we're gonna start to rebuild this temple and restore things. And, um, you know, that that's the whole book of Nehemiah where Nehemiah is like dealing with the debt that some of the people had left the, uh, chi- the children of Judah with and all this other stuff and they are building the wall and, you know, hammer in one hand and a sword in the other, this whole story, right? So anyway, um, As we move forward, you know, they get their temple roughly rebuilt, but but from one kingdom to the next, Israel is never restored as its own independent nation. They they continue to be almost like a province of the world powers. And we move from Babylon to Medo-Persia to Greece, and then ultimately to Rome. And so Rome is in charge by the time that Jesus is born. And as we read the New Testament, we we learn that, um, well, the Jews are a subpopulation of Israel, okay? The term Israelite is a term that applies to all of the tribes of Israel, most of which haven't been heard from for 700 years by the time that Jesus is being born. The Jews are a subpopulation of Israel and for all intents and purposes, um, you know, they basically include Judah, the Levites and some of the tribe of Benjamin. And this is the people group that Jesus localizes his ministry to. He, he, he ministers around the area of, of Galilee and, um, you know, th- th- this, this whole little sliver there. Um, making the Jews his primary mission field. And even on uh, one occasion where he is invited to go off into Samaria and a a woman asking him to help his daughter, you know, he, he just gives the word and the daughter is healed, but he doesn't actually travel there, right? So the Jews are living in a province of the Roman kingdom at this time, which is called Israel. OK, but it's a province. It's not the nation that is independent and its own government and its own laws and all of that. I mean, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees, you know, they, they're running from the temple and they do have their laws through the religion. But they are underneath the jurisdiction of Rome, which is why you have them answering to Pontius Pilate and all this other stuff. Right. So 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 at the time that Jesus is alive, you have a bunch of Jews. And they are living in a province called Israel, but this is not the Israel of 800 years ago because the tribes that represent Israel aren't there. All right. So now that I've said all that, we see this clearly depicted in um, an early passage in the Gospels. It says, arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he, being Joseph, arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. So so Herod dies and 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 before he died he killed all these infants so Jesus Mary and Joseph they travel to Egypt and then once Herod dies Joseph is told hey you can go back now and but instead of going back to the area of Judea they go over to Galilee and they kind of set up shop there right but the whole region is called Israel <laughs> so we're defining our terms so there's less confusion here what what are we talking about right now when we get to the book of Romans this is what we learn in Romans 1 16, okay, follow this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. So the Bible does say that Paul believed that the power of God to salvation was for the Jew first, right? And so, yeah, this is where the confusion begins, right? Because now in the body of Christ, we're really confused about where Jews fall in the overarching redemptive plan of God. Are Jews more important than Gentiles when it comes to people being saved? Why do Christians get so excited when they find out that, you know, Ancestry.com says they have some Jewishness in their blood? Furthermore, how do we define Jewishness at all? Now, now, I'm going to mess you all up real bad by beginning with how the Bible defines Jews, okay? That's where we're going to start, and then we're going to move into real confusion. <laughs> and we're going to sort it all out and at the end. We're all going to be on the same page, right? Um, in Romans chapter 11, we find more conversation about... Israel. Okay? As a matter of fact, what we learn is that Jesus Christ becomes Israel and the Redeemer of Israel and um, the people of God that he foreknows are being addressed in order for the reader to understand that God's redemptive agenda through Jesus is to bring the children of Israel, of which Paul, who calls himself of the tribe of Benjamin, is a member. He's like, Jesus died for you. And so we go further in Romans 11, and Jesus defines himself as the cultivated olive tree. Through his redemptive work, in that he establishes a new covenant, unbelieving Jews are broken off and believing Gentiles are grafted into him. And then if the unbelieving Jews turn to Jesus, they are grafted in again. All right, now let's look at the Bible. Romans chapter 11, verse 16. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. We learned that Jesus is the root of Jesse. So verse 17 says, and if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, jump over to verse 19, you will say then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. Jump over to verse 23. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. In other words, if Jews don't believe in Yeshua as their Messiah, God has nothing for them. Jesus is their Messiah as much as Jesus is the Messiah of the Gentiles. They need him just as much as we need him. And guess what? If you find you have Jewishness in your blood, you still need him. I'm here to preach Jesus, Christ crucified, and the finished work accomplished by the shedding of his blood. And it doesn't matter if I'm talking to a Jew or a Gentile. That's what Romans 11 is saying, right? But some people, they they, they begin to read this, and they're like, oh, no, there's something different going on for the Jews. Where does it say that? It's all about them getting grafted in again, because right now they're out. They are not in, they are out. They are outside of the new covenant by which men must be saved. There is only one name under heaven by which men must be saved. Some Christians teach that Jews have their own special covenant, that the church is a parenthesis in God's overarching redemptive work involving this genetic nation. Where do they get that? They didn't get it from Romans 11, I promise you. Jews need Yeshua, Jesus. Gentiles need Yeshua, Jesus. End of conversation. Can we move on? Now, now here, we're, we're going to be setting the record straight. Okay? Um, Jesus is the cultivated olive tree. Gentiles go into him. Jews go into him. And we become partakers of the commonwealth of Israel. But Jesus is the source. Now, this is the right understanding because Jesus fulfills the prophecy of Jeremiah 31. Now, the dispensationalists teach this completely different than what I'm about to tell you because they get their doctrine from Zionism. But I'll get to that later. Here's what you need to know. Jesus stands as a representative of both the house of Israel and the house of Judah in Jeremiah 31, fulfilling these prophecies in his own person. Okay, follow me now. And for those of you that have taken my classes, this is going to really like, oh, you're like, oh, I know this. Because I put this in my classes. It's because people get so confused. Jeremiah 31 says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was their husband, says the Lord, but this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law within them and on their hearts will I write it. I will be their God and they will be my people, right? So now we have a bunch of Christian Zionists looking forward to the coming kingdom where God makes a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. How backwards is that? So let me show you why that's backwards. Hosea 11, chapter one, follow me. Hosea chapter 11:1. The Bible says, "When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt." Hosea 11:1 is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2 verse 15. And why people miss this, I don't understand. So I'm sitting here cuz someone's got to say it. The Bible says in Matthew 2:15 and was there, this is in Egypt until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, of the Lord, by the prophet, saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. In other words, God, through Jeremiah, right, says that um, he is going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And in Hosea 11.1, he says, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. And then in Matthew two fifteen, we have the Bible interpret itself for us. And God is saying, look, Jesus is my son, the one who I called out of Egypt. Whoa, this means that Jesus fulfills Israel in himself. He actually takes the office of Israel by what he fulfills prophetically in the scriptures. So he, in his person, is able to establish a covenant with the Father on behalf of Israel, which is God's Israel, the 12 tribes that no one's heard of for 800 years. Oh my gosh, but we're not done yet because Jesus finishes fulfilling Jeremiah 31 all by himself in Revelation 5.5 because it says, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah The root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. In other words, David, the root of David is Jesus. And so he becomes a proxy for Judah. And so when God, the father makes a new covenant between him and the son, it becomes an unbreakable covenant. There's nothing you can do that can undo the finished work of Jesus Christ absolutely nothing. You are either in this covenant or you are out of the covenant, but you cannot break a covenant that you are not responsible for. Jesus in his own person is fully responsible to uphold every requirement righteously of this covenant. Thus he fulfills the law and thus he establishes a reuniting between man and God in his own person, fulfilling Jeremiah 31. So what new covenant do the Jews need? They need Jesus. I'm not done yet. We're just getting started. I am really sick and tired of this nonsense that people people are so confused. But a lot of it stems from Kabbalah. Now, moving on, right? Therefore, we learn that Israel in the New Testament is synonymous with the kingdom of God. The children of God in the New Testament through the finished work of Jesus Christ are redefined to be all Jew and Gentile that believe in Jesus, right? These are the children of God. As many as are believing, you know, as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God and you are sons. And if sons and heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So the Bible says in Ephesians chapter two, verse 11 and 13, Watch this, watch this. Come on now, follow me, don't get lost. Wherefore, remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus. You who are sometimes were far off are made near by the blood of Christ. In other words, Jesus is Israel. Jesus takes the Gentiles and puts them in Israel. Jesus takes the Jews and puts them in Israel. He is the root. Now we partake of the fatness of the tree and we are all made members of the commonwealth of Israel. So in the new covenant, Israel really is redefined. According to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, some people get really mad. You're a replacement theologian, Dan. First of, all, first of all, everything that I have said has come straight from the clear reading of scripture. What I have realized is that this accusation of replacement theology has largely come from the dispensationalist camp. But the dispensationalists are programmed by an agenda that was brought in through the Schofield Bible that was funded by political Zionists and Kabbalists. Literally, the Illuminati printed that Bible and put it into our seminaries. All right. Wait, I'm getting there. (laughs) Now we're driving. Okay. There is a commonwealth of Israel. Jews are brought in. Gentiles are brought in. The Bible says in Romans chapter two, 28 and 29. Now this is where I just, there's such a breakdown in logic. People just, their whole brain just melts. Blah. Right. It says, for he is not a Jew, not a Jew which is one who is outwardly nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. In other words, I don't care if you were born from the tribe of Judah From the tribe of Levi, or one of those members from the tribe of Benjamin, (laughs) you're you're, you're no longer a Jew in the eyes of God, because God's definition of Jew is those that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have received a circumcision of their heart, plain and simple. That's literally the plain text reading of the word. Now, some of you, your brain is like breaking, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, it's like, but don't argue with me, argue with the word. I'm going to keep going. We have to drive this thing. Um, Galatians 3:28, it says, "There is neither Jew nor Greek. there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus." Hm. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 15, let's just round this whole thing out. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, wait for it, right? Jew and Gentile, thus making peace. So Jesus reconciles Jew and Gentile in himself. Now we're all Israel. Now we're all Jews. So when I go and I get accused of being anti-Semitic, I now can say, Quite literally, well, according to my definition of Jew, I'd have to be anti-Dan Deval because I am Jew. <laughs> That's God's definition. Okay, now, therefore, as a result of the finished work of Jesus Christ, we're left with new definitions. Israel is the kingdom of God. It is a commonwealth which, through Jesus Christ, is populated by all Jew and Gentile who believe in him. Jews are those who have been circumcised, not in the flesh, but in the heart, meaning that being Jewish in the eyes of Jesus has nothing to do with the genetics of one's parentage, but the condition of their heart before God and their conviction of Jesus as Messiah. Next point. This leaves us with two aspects to reconcile. One, in the New Testament, the Bible could not be any clearer about who the Jews and Israel are in the eyes of God. And they are not the genetic lineage, okay? But the Bible also... Couldn't be clearer about God's redemptive agenda for Jew and Gentile, which is salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, there is one more piece of this puzzle that doesn't go away with all of this. And that comes in the book of Revelation, chapter four, seven, verses four through eight. And it says... And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Now, suddenly out of nowhere, we again are being told about some kind of agenda of God for the tribes. The tribes, quite literally, people we haven't heard about. For 2,800 years, where are they? The tribe of Asher, tribe of Benjamin, Um, Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, right? All of these guys, Uh, conveniently, Dan is not part of this group. So Dan goes out, Manasseh comes in, and Manasseh and Joseph become two tribes in this particular categorization. Uh, Don't ask me why Dan isn't there. I don't have that answer right now. But what I am saying is there is something, there is something that no one knows yet. No one fully knows what this agenda is for the tribes. But there is this agenda for the tribes that still does exist in the book of Revelation, which is why, you know, I, I come back and I'm like, well, I'm not a full replacement theologian where I say, well, everything, everywhere is now Um, implicating directly the body of Christ. There's something going on, but it's not political Zionism. Now, moving on from here, we're going to get into more nitty gritty, right? This is where we hit outright confusion, all right? So now that we know what the Bible says about the issue, we have to come back to present day and how everything is getting twisted by Kabbalah-based political Zionism. Because we are somehow still being told to believe that the Jews are still the chosen people of God. Yet, wait a minute, the Christians are the Jews according to the Bible. So why do I now need to look at these different groups that are coming out of diaspora in the Middle East and calling them Jews? Oh, wait, that's right, because I'm in someone else's belief system. I'm in a different religion now. So now they have redefined words to mean what they want them to mean. The only problem is they put their definition in my Schofield Bible, which went into my seminary, (coughs) So that my uh, seminarian teacher would teach me their version of this story. And then I'd go out and teach you. See how that works? Because if you read the Bible, (laughs) God is very clear about who Israel and the Jews are right now. All right. Now, anyway. We are told to believe that Jews are still the chosen people of God and that they have a separate covenant with Judah, Jehovah. and this largely drips in from dispensationalism. All right, now I'm going to go here. A type of biblical interpretive model that divides the Bible into a series of ages or dispensations defined by covenants. That's what dispensationalism is. Uh, Many Christians were not aware that there are really two primary camps of interpretation of the Bible and they are largely the dispensationalist camp and the covenant theology camp. Uh, Dispensationalists, you can oversimplify their version of the Bible interpretation by saying um, replaced unless repeated. In other words, um, a lot of the Old Testament goes away and it becomes irrelevant, except for whatever happens to do with the Jews, because, well, the New Testament is what we have for the church. And the church is the parenthesis in God's overarching plan for the physical Jews. Okay, so but a lot of what's there doesn't really apply to Christian teaching because we're the parenthesis. So you you, you have a replacement unless repeated. In covenant theology, it's a more integrative Bible interpretation model where you you maintain unless it's modified. So you are actually interpreting the Old Testament through the lens of Christ a lot more often and a lot more intentionally. It's interesting though, and I, I, I really could break this down if I had enough time, that Kabbalah has infiltrated both camps of interpretive models in different ways. On one side, we have the covenant, which leans more on the Hebrew roots infiltration, uh, getting people to go back to Torah based on um, receiving teaching from rabbis who are initiated Kabbalists in some cases. And then on the dispensationalist side, we're we're teaching people a totally different view of the Bible, that the church is God's parenthesis and its overarching narrative for ancient Israel, and that we're going to get out of God's way with a pre-trib rapture, and then he's going to finish his plan. Right, both have elements of Kabbalistic doctrine that are messing people up inside of them. Now, let's explain this a little bit further, right? In its doctrine for the church, dispensationalism holds that the Jewish rejection of the kingdom caused Jesus to postpone the kingdom of God until the second advent. I need you to listen to that very carefully. Dispensationalism holds that the Jewish rejection of the kingdom of God caused Jesus to postpone phone the kingdom until the second Advent. In other words, when Jesus comes back the second time, he's bringing the kingdom with him. How many people have heard that taught? right? And so because He's bringing the kingdom with him, when he returns again, uh, he has established the church as an interlude between two advents. But Jesus says the exact opposite thing. It's so opposite. It's opposite. It literally is opposite. <laughs> the absolute different thing that that thing says. It couldn't be farther apart. <laughs> it is so different. <laughs> you, you cannot imagine what I go through when I put these notes together, guys. I mean, because I try to stay out of the it, but when I get in a mess, I mean, I get in a mess. Look, yeah! like i go like those are my faces while i'm making my notes I'm, at, like, I'm writing it down anyway so 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 we're going to go through a few verses here and i'm going to show you just how ridiculous right all this stuff is dispensationalists couldn't be farther off the bible says in matthew twenty three thirteen, but woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men you neither go in yourselves nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. In other words, first of all, the kingdom of God was already here interfacing with earth. They weren't going in. So how can Jesus postpone something that's already here? So so then we go to the next point, right? Um, Matthew 21, 43. Therefore, I say unto you, these are the words of Jesus. The kingdom of God shall be taken away from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. In other words, I am taking away something you already have. Wait, the dispensationalists are saying that he's postponing the kingdom until he comes back. Where do they get that from? Kabbalah. Kabbalah. They got it from the Jewish doctrine because the Jews are still waiting for their Messiah to restore the kingdom. (laughs) But our Messiah restored a kingdom that we know not of. This one so we wrote all of our theology around their belief system and then we preach it to people for 100 years baptists pentecostals word of faith we are still preaching pre-trip rapture in half of these places and it makes me sick i vomit in my mouth i am this 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 sucks right and, and 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 then i come out guys the kingdom's already here oh daniel i heard about that kingdom now preaching that's a cult your whole doctrine came from the occult and your doctrine told you that you have a get out of jail free ticket and a preacher of rapture that's not coming I promise and guess what you're a powerless cessationist gospel that's the occult ensuring that you don't meddle with their plans with the finished work of Jesus Christ that should be alive and well in you give me a break <laughs> ah. so they impaled the church with the cessation. the cessationism doctrine came right along with dispensationalism Came in one package. Gifts of God ended with the first church. We are here to preach the gospel, warm up you, and get out of here before Antichrist shows up. Jesus has to rescue us from the Antichrist. Are you kidding me? God has to rescue the Antichrist from me. In Jesus' name, I'm going after this guy. I'm going after the Antichrist spirit. And you, and you, and you, and you, he's not going to get away. That Antichrist spirit is going to get his butt kicked if he's standing in front of me during a deliverance session. I promise you, I'm coming after Antichrist in the name of Jesus. And you should too. You're sitting here looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm looking at you like you're crazy. Do you know who you serve? Antichrist is the replacement for Jesus. He's the, (laughs) the counterfeit. The less than. We're so confused. So, 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 so then Jesus says, um, Peter says in the book of First Peter two nine, you, you have to follow me. Listen. But you, the corporate church, spiritual Israel, you, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. A peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So, the nation that Jesus took <laughs> the kingdom of God from, or, or the nation that Jesus gave the kingdom of God to, is a spiritual nation of Israel in him, and he took it from the genetic Jews. He said, you Pharisees, you scribes, you idiots. I'm going to take it from you and give it to another nation. That nation is the nation in him of which Jew and Gentile are grafted in. That's the one. So, so not only are dispensationalists wrong on the idea that Jesus is postponing the bringing in of his kingdom, they don't recognize that it's been here all this time. The kingdom of God has transferred to, through covenants allowing different people access through different covenants. So the covenant that Israel had at Mount Sinai allowed them access to the kingdom of God as long as they obeyed the law. And God said, this is going to be the evidence, the demonstration of your engagement with my kingdom, my supernatural sphere. When you obey me, blessed will you be in the city, blessed will you be in the country, blessed will you be when you come in, blessed will you be when you go out. You will be the head, and not the tail, above and not beneath. Your bread breadbasket, all of Deuteronomy 28. That is the supernatural overlay of God's spirit kingdom superimposed on Israel's reality. The same kingdom that's supposed to superimpose our reality right now. Because we have it but they had it, but they weren't going in and they were blocking everybody with their nonsense. <laughs> we could call it their Babylonian Talmud. The Babylonian Talmud is still keeping us out. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm going after dispensationalists. And you know what? If you are a dispensationalist, all you gotta do is repent because you've been believing lies. The Bible says in Luke 17:21, nor will people say, look, here it is, or see, it is there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you and among you it's in your hearts and surrounding you how can you postpone something that's already in people's hearts and surrounding them you cannot it's a bogus lie it is actually the opposite (laughs) right so 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 so, can can you see how twisted all of this is right first of all we, we, we we don't understand what god's definition of jew is we don't understand what god's definition of israel is right We acknowledge that there is some kind of unknown agenda for the 12 tribes of Israel, because it says so. I don't know what it is. But here we have now political Zionists redefining for us who the Jews are, because they're not saying that the church is the Jews. No, because that's Bible doctrine. They're saying that who they say are Jews are Jews. Judaism are Jews, and other groups, and Ashkenazis, oh, they're Jews. Not according to God. Now, moving on dispensationalists invent a theology of postponement of the greater plan for genetic Israel and the actual Jews and conclude God's interlude of uh, the church, right? Because we're the interlude, we're we're the afterthought with an event known as a pre-trib rapture. Okay. So after a period of time that is relatively powerless because signs and wonders have stopped with the book of Acts and our job is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, warm pews, and uh, get rescued by the pre-trib rapture, because Antichrist and Satan are almighty and all-powerful. <laughs> um, this, this is their whole shtick. Now, from beginning to end, their focus is on genetic Jews, or, or they believe that God's focus is on genetic Jews. And in the church, right, because this is a trickle-through, in the church, we're supposed to pray for them. And praying for them with the idea in our mind that God is working on a separate covenant than the one he worked through, Yeshua Messiah. And so the advent of Messiah, Jesus, will allow for God to finish the intent he had for genetic Israel, which was always his major plan. Now, I want you to know something, okay? I I really need you to know this, right? Did you know the Schofield Bible, which was the major evangelistic tool of dispensationalism, was supported by high-level Zionist bankers and socialists, Kabbalists, okay? Including Samuel Gompers, Fiorello LaGuardia, Abraham Strauss, Bernard Baruch, and Jacob Schiff. How did they get such widespread accolades? Answer, because the people with the money made it do that. (laughs) Okay, now, I'm going to do a little screen share here because you need to to see this for yourself, okay? Look, Look at this. Who was Cyrus Schofield? I took this from churchclips.com. As a young con artist in Kansas after the Civil War, he met up with John J. Ingalls, an aging Jewish lawyer who had been sent to Atchison by the Secret Six some 30 years before to work the abolitionist cause, pulling strings both in Kansas and with his compatriots back East. Ingalls assisted Schofield in gaining admission to the bar and procured his appointment as federal attorney for Kansas. Ingalls and Schofield became partners in a railroad scam, which led to Cirrus be serving time for criminal forgery. While he was in prison, Schofield began studying the philosophy of John Darby, a pioneer of the Plymouth Brethren movement, and the Any Now Rapture Doctrine. Upon his release from prison, Schofield deserted his first wife, Lynette Carey Schofield and his two daughters, Abigail and Helen. And he took his mistress (laughs) as a mistress, a young girl from the St. Louis Flower Mission. He later abandoned her for Helen Van Ward, whom he eventually married. Following his Illuminati connections to New York, he settled in at the Lotus Club, which he listed as his residence for the next 20 years. It was here that he presented his ideas for a new Christian Bible concordance and was taken under the wing of Samuel Untermyer, who later became chairman of the American Jewish Committee, president of the American League of Jewish Patriots, and chairman of the non-sectarian anti-Nazi League. Untermyer introduced Schofield to numerous Zionists and socialist leaders, including Samuel Gompers, Fiorello LaGuardia, Abraham Strauss, Bernard Baruch, and Jacob Schiff. These were the people who financed Schofield's research trips to Oxford and arranged the publication and and distribution of his concordance. Look at this guy, Jacob Schiff, American banker, businessman, philanthropist, among other things. He helped finance the expansion of American railroads and Japanese military efforts against Tsarist Russia. And if you didn't know, the Rothschilds, which are behind a lot of the Zionist movement, have had a long-standing problem with the Romanovs, and that was actually a lot of what World War I centered around, the issue, it, it, the issue with the Romanov family. <clears throat> now, uh, Jacob Schiff, born in Frankfurt, Germany, Schiff migrated to the United States after the American Civil War and joined the firm Kuhn, Loeb & Co. from his base on Wall Street. He was the foremost... Jewish leader, Jewish leader, from 1880 to 1920, and what later became known as the Schiff era, grappling with all major Jewish issues and problems of the day. He was trying to solve Jewish problems—that is, problems for the political Zionist-defined Jew population, including the plight of the Russian Jews under the czar, American and international anti-Semitism, blah blah blah. Okay. Do, do you see the problem with getting funding from the Illuminati? Okay. Do, do, you, do you really think that the Illuminati are going to, fu- a- ask me, I dare one of you to ask me, Daniel, how much money has Bride Ministries received from the Illuminati for what you're doing? How many of your books are there helping to support? Ask somebody, please put your hand up. Does anybody want to take a guess? Yeah. None of you, because you're not that stupid. You're not that stupid. They're not giving me any money because I'm their enemy. I am not on their side. And I am helping people try to get free to connect with Jesus. But what is CI Schofield doing? Their business. Why is it so easy to connect? For like you know, of course, Daniel's not getting paid by them. But oh, CI Schofield. Oh no, you know, you just don't understand theology, Daniel. I got something for you. I got something for you. Um, Some of you have seen this before. Some of you need to see it again. Yeah, that's you. If you are really struggling and you're doing that well, but that's what you look like. I'm trying to help you. All right. Moving on. I'm I'm really over on time here. I'm sorry. Do you guys want me to stop? You want to just pick this up next week? We could we could finish later. I I know it's like a little late. Some of you may have some questions. Of course not. You guys want me to finish? All right. So, 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 so. This commentary is, in all the world of Christendom, the great repository of arguments whereby people preach and deceive themselves that political Zionism is a part of Bible prophecy that Christians should help with their prayers and finances to come about. If you have gotten an argument that says we need to pray for Israel, support the political Zionists that are running that country, this corruption, this robbery and theft of life, all this stuff overseen by the Rothschilds, you've probably been deceived by theology that was derived from this place, right? That's where it all comes from. You have to understand you are drinking from a cesspool. The same cesspool that said the gift stopped, the pre-trib rapture is gonna rescue us from Antichrist and a lot of other nonsense. (laughs) Oh, now back to the Jews, okay? So with the help of dispensational theology, we are looking now for the manifestation of the physical kingdom of Israel and the restoration of the Jews to that land in our time, because we missed what the Bible actually taught, namely that God redefined Israel as us, Jew and Gentile, one new man in Christ, and that he who is a Jew is one that is inward of the circumcision of the heart and the spirit. Okay, we missed that. So now, so now we're back in, in, in Kabbalah land. So therefore, anything that looks like Jews coming back to the land must be of God. Enter the Khazars. Now, the Rothschilds and other Illuminati families that claim to be Jews actually draw their roots from a country called Khazaria, which is today, roughly present-day Georgia. It's northeast of Turkey, just below Russia, on the east side of the Black Sea. And around 740 AD, a Khazarian king named Bulan converts to Judaism. He's a white guy, he's Caucasian, And the Rothschilds, who are Ashkenazi Jews and other Ashkenazi Jews that are Illuminists and bankers and so on and so forth, that are really Caucasian, come from this group. They stand in contrast to Sephardic Jews and other more uh, localized communities of Jews in different areas extending from India to China. There are those that say they are Jews but are not. The Bible says in Revelation 2.9, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but our synagogue of Satan. Yeah, yeah, that's them. These fake Jews engineered World War I and World War II in order to finalize the setting up of a nation which they decided to call Israel, which was legally set up through the Balfour Declaration of 1917. I need to see something. Oops. Here we go. All right, the Balfour Declaration was a public statement issued by the British government in 1917 during the First World War announcing support for the establishment of a national home for the Jewish people in Palestine, then an Ottoman region with a small minority Jewish population. Arthur Balfour authored this in partnership and collaboration with the Rothschild family. If you go over to Israel right now, you see, like, massive Rothschild influence. They named streets after this family. They they, they run the show. Now, okay, coming back, right? We're moving. So these fake Jews uh, put together their Balfour Declaration in 1917. The goal is to bring in their plan for their Antichrist and their new world order. Their plan is revealed. In Albert Pike's, letter, there's a public, you can look this up online. There's a public letter from Albert Pike, remember Kabbalist, Freemason, <laughs> right? To a guy named Mazzini in 1871. And it talks about the whole plan. I'm going to read it to you in a second. So, so, so these fake Jews, political Zionists, Illuminati, move in, put their leaders in over that nation and trigger the unsuspecting and deceived church all across the world to pray for their success. Hold on, you need to see something, you need to see this. All right, here it is. Albert Pike's famous letter. The First World War must be brought about in order to permit the Illuminati to overthrow the power of the czars of Russia and of making that country a fortress of atheistic communism, the divergences caused by the agents of the Illuminati between the British and Germanic empires will be used to foment this war At the end of the war, communism will be built and used in order to destroy the other governments and in order to weaken the religions. The Second World War must be fomented by taking advantage of the differences between the fascists and the political Zionists. This war must be brought about so that Nazism is destroyed and that political Zionism be strong enough to institute a sovereign state of Israel in Palestine. Whose plan is this, God or the Illuminati's? Anyone want to take a guess? (laughs) This guy is an occultist. He's a Kabbalist. He's doing rituals. He's raping children. He's drinking blood. That's who's writing this plan. During the Second World War, international communism must become strong enough in order to balance Christendom, which would then be restrained and held in check until the time when we would need it for the final social cataclysm. In other words, they want to use you for their agenda. And this is the funny thing, because when they get Christians praying for their plans, our prayers actually do move heaven. They, they, they can't even fully do it without the church. They need our help. <laughs> Thank you. Christian preachers all over the world, pray for Israel, pro-Zionist, Zionist Christians. Where the heck do you get that from? Yeah, them, <laughs> their playbook, them. We are helping them. Let it sink in real deep. Now, they already wanted their World War III, I believe. I'm firmly convinced this. It hasn't happened yet. This is what he said about it. Taking advantage of the differences caused by the agents of the Illuminati between the political Zionists and leaders of the Islamic world, the war must be conducted in such a way that Islam and political Zionism mutually destroy each other, right? So, so they want a war in the Middle East. They set it up. They want the Arabic world to be the big enemies. They want the church to have the back of political Zionism, and then they want mutual destruction. (laughs) Meanwhile, the other nations more divided on this issue will be constrained, physical, moral, spiritual, economic exhaustion. We shall unleash nihilists to atheists, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, moving on. You can read that in your free time. Um, When it comes to Jewishness, the entire conversation is extremely confusing because of the diaspora. See, after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, the true Jews were scattered among the nations. Okay, so so first Israel was scattered in 722, then 80, 70, going forward, 100, 200, 300, 400. You know, Jews are being scattered more and more. And there are many groups that have Jewish connectedness. But again, we have to remember that we are separating God's definition of Jewish connectedness from a secular definition of Jewish connectedness, talking about the genetic Jews that are no longer Jews in the eyes of God. Okay, But to, to make matters worse, Orthodox Jews classify anyone regardless of their genetic background as a Jew if they believe and practice in Judaism. So now now when we begin to actually unpack and unfold and say, okay, we're going to draw all our lines and define all our terms here so that we can really fully understand the confusion around all this nonsense regarding the Jews and Israel and the church and what God's really doing. We have to understand that, look, you took red, you took green, you took blue, you took yellow, and you put red, 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 red. And now when people are talking about Jews, I don't know if you talk about red, blue, green, or yellow, because there's God, there's the Orthodox Jews, there's the Ashkenazis, and there's like these genetic offshoots that are in different pockets around the world from India to China. Now, um, so, so, so the Orthodox Jews classify anyone regardless of genetic background as a Jew if they believe and practice Judaism, which is really convenient for the Ashkenazis, which say they're Jews, but are not because they're Kabbalists and Illuminists. Now, thus, and, and, and I, I can't say that every Ashkenazi Jew obviously is not this person because everyone makes up their own mind, um, So let me say that. But thus, an intelligent conversation on Jews in Israel is very difficult. It's difficult because no one took the time like I have today to break it down and define it. So Christians are getting their brains scrambled constantly trying to sort this all out. They're trying to sort out Bible prophecy from Luciferian Kabbalistic agenda in a swamp of definitional confusion. So I made a nice handy dandy table to help us, you know, put some of this in perspective. All right. There it is. Now, oversimplified meanings of Jew. <laughs> so you're all clear. If we are talking about the Bible and God, A Jew are those of the circumcision of the heart who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, right? You read it? Everyone understands? I'm not making this up. You saw the evidence. If you are an Orthodox Jew, your definition is all who adhere to and faithfully practice traditional Judaism. But remember, traditional Judaism is also redefined because traditional Judaism as in Old Testament, time of Moses, Judaism, is not what they do. Uh, Oh, am I not showing the slide? I am so sorry. Ah, there we go. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for that. Um, So again, the Bible and God, those of the circumcision of the heart who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, Orthodox Jews, all who adhere to and faithfully practice traditional Judaism. Traditional is redefined to include Babylonian Talmud and Kabbalah. In other words, it's like when you go and you buy some nuts and they say, you know, genuine nuts. And you think, oh, this must mean that these are organic nuts. And it's like, no, genuine nuts with an asterisk. Genuine is defined to be our nuts, which we or, uh, genetically modified and grew and then called genuine. <laughs> they did, right? So <laughs> traditional asterisk. <laughs> redefinition Babylonian Talmud and Kabbalah, all right? Now Ashkenazi Jews in political Zionism, they have their own meaning of the word Jew. Those of various descents that God is calling back to their original land, including us, the Khazars, you suckers. Asterisk, God is redefined to be the Tetragrammaton working through Metatron, who is Messiah (laughs) Ben-Joseph, the Antichrist, you suckers. The diaspora, I borrowed this list from Wikipedia on Jewish ethnic divisions, smaller Jewish groups around the earth, including the Georgian Jews, mountain Jews from the Caucasus, Indian Jews, the Bene Israel, Bene Menashe, Kokan Jews, Bene Ephraim, the Romaniotes of Greece, ancient Italian Jewish community, the Temanim of Yemen, African Jews, um, Beta Israel of Ethiopia, the Bukharan Jews of Central Asia and Chinese Jews, most notably the Kaifeng Jews, right? none of which are defined as Jews of God until they believe in Yeshua as their Messiah. So now now we are beginning to see, wait a minute, we, we can cut through the fog a little bit. We're cutting through the fog. The whole confusion around Jews and political Zionism and people going back to the land, that's been engineered through definitional confusion Kabbalist doctrine and infiltration of the body of Christ largely through the Schofield Bible. (laughs) Uh Aha. So in conclusion, this does have an end. In conclusion, the body of Christ has been hoodwinked. God's agenda is for all people to turn to Jesus regardless of whether they are Jew or Gentile. The state of Israel has everything to do with the Rothschild globalist agenda and is designed to serve as a seat for their Christ, which is our Antichrist. There is an agenda for the lost tribes of Israel that is detailed in Revelation 7 that is to be distinguished from political Zionism, an agenda which Jesus has not told me anything about. I don't know what he plans to do or how he plans to do it. I don't fully understand that. And some of you may be still thinking, look, what about all these Old Testament prophecies of the restoration and the regathering of the nation of Israel? Why don't you address some of that, Dandoval, in one minute, because we are over time. Let me just say this, okay? I think that we have been way too generous in applying our ignorance to some of these preposterous ideas. And, And most of the Old Testament passages regarding the restoration of the nation have to be examined with fresh eyes in light of the full understanding of what's happened here. I'll give you one example. In uh, Jeremiah 23, one of these major passages talking about the regathering, it says, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them and bring them back into their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Let me tell you something. This isn't modern day 1948 Israel. I'm sorry. This is actually a prophecy of the first and foremost about what Jesus already did in reconciling men back to God in him and through Christianity and the discipling of the nations around the world. He is shepherding lost Israel right now. The only way to really save the lost tribes of Israel was to die for all. (laughs) Think about that. In 1948 Israel, God is not setting up shepherds for his people that are turning them to Christ. Quite to the contrary, 1948 Israel to present day is largely secular. Missionaries are taking assignments there, flying under the radar in many cases, so as not to upset the other religious groups that are running the show. This is because it's a state run by the Illuminati, very straightforwardly and plainly. So we must remember that through Jesus, who is the cultivated olive tree of the Commonwealth of Israel, we come to Zion literally, and the New Jerusalem in the realm of God, the kingdom which Jesus came, that the Pharisees came from, that the Pharisees knew not of. In other words, think about Jeremiah 23 in light of Hebrews chapter um, 11. Uh, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just been made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, which speaks of better things than that of Abel. Mount Zion, the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, like all Christians are already part of that state. In heaven, the, the, the kingdom that Jesus told the Pharisees, I represent a kingdom you know not of. I'm fulfilling your messianic prophecies in a way you don't expect. So there are many passages around the regathering, but we haven't looked at them with fresh eyes. Jeremiah 23 is absolutely struck from the record. <laughs> it's not 1948 Israel. Okay, so we have to move on. That's not going to work. And we could go through all the different passages throughout the Bible and do a deep study on that. And I guarantee you at the end of the day, you will not find 1948 Israel in the center of the heart of God. As a matter of fact, you will find more and more evidence that viewing the Old Testament prophecies through the lens of the finished work of Jesus Christ and our inheritance as sons and daughters of God in Christ will yield deeper and deeper and deeper understanding of our relationship to God's kingdom and our capacity to walk between realms. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for truth. I thank you for righteousness. I thank you for life. I thank you for your word and I thank you, Lord God, that you are sorting out the confusion. I pray, Lord God, that these words do not fall on deaf ears But Lord, I thank you that you are liberating us to align with your vision for this world, with your vision for our own lives, and Lord God, with your plan to save both Jew and Gentile through Jesus Christ. Lord God, I thank you that we are liberated to take our rightful seats according to what you have written about this generation and our responsibility in it. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at BrideMinistriesInternational.com to enjoy the Bride Ministries Church, the Bride Ministries Institute, free resources, and to support us financially.